Hey everybody, this is Brian Zimmerman. And this is Matt Mikucci. And you're listening to Jazz Is Crate Digging. Again, Matt Micucci. How's it going, man? I'm doing very well, Brian. Hi, everybody. And uh, I'm calling in from Galway, Ireland, and excited to be joining you on this brand new episode of Crate Digging. Looking forward to sharing some info about some great albums in this show. That's right. It is another episode of Crate Digging. This is the show where we kind of throw it back to the olden days. That's right. Two guys in their 30s talking about the olden days <laughs> um, <laughs> of jazz record stores or CD stores or cassette stores, what have you. Uh, but back when, you know, listening was more personal, um, if you were looking for album recommendations, you'd go talk to a real human being. You know, we live in an age now of algorithms and computer programs uh, who try to figure out uh, your your musical taste. We're doing it the old-fashioned way. Matt and I recommending some albums on a given theme. Uh, And this week is a pretty cool theme, Matt. What do we have in store? Well, we're going to be talking about album debuts by some of the greats. And I was thinking about this theme, which was uh, particularly stimulating. And uh, there's an old expression from the 18th century, the first blow is half the battle. And really, the same goes for many things in life as well as music. Many of the jazz greats started their career on the right foot. And some of the albums that we're going to be talking about today are only but a few of the great full-length opening statements by some of them. That's right. The first impression is often the biggest and the most memorable. Uh, Now, you could take this theme a couple of different ways, Matt, Um, whether the artist was debuting on an album. uh, And I'm not sure what you did, but I picked the first full-length studio album as a leader by each artist. Is that what you did? Pretty much the same. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, again, we picked three albums each that we're going to be sharing with you, and we invite you to, we'll post this on our Facebook, and we want you to let us know what are some of your favorite debut albums. Um, So yeah, Matt, without further ado, what do you say we get into this thing? You want to kick it off? Ready to go, and I'm happy to kick it off. Uh, So, okay, so for my first album, I chose the 1959 album Chega de Saudade. The debut album by the late great Brazilian musician, singer-songwriter Joao Gilberto. And really, when we talk about opening statements that left an indelible mark on music history, this is probably not as well known as it should be. Um, Or maybe not as well known as later works by Gilberto, particularly the stuff that he would record in the States a few years later, including Get Gilberto, of course. Uh, And yet this album is often credited as the first bossa nova album. And I'm, of course, referring to the Brazilian fusion of samba and cool jazz, very melodic and, of course, very influential as well as super popular, especially in the bossa craze of the 60s. And um, this album was really a collaboration with uh, two other legends in their own right, uh, Antonio Carlos Jobim and and, um, Vinicius de Moraes. And... uh, two great legends. And the track list includes many of the genre's standards, including the title song that translates as No More Sorrows. Then you've got Desafinado and you've got Bim Bom. The latter song was actually composed by Gilberto himself and is considered the first bossa nova song. So a lot of firsts (laughs) for this influential debut album. So it was a no brainer for me as a huge fan of bossa nova and Brazilian songwriting for me to include it as one of my three picks for today's crate digging. 
Very cool. A debut inside a debut inside a debut. You got a little debutception going on over there. Love that album. And what do you say we go ahead and listen to a track? Absolutely. Vai minha tristeza e diz a ela que sem ela não pode ser. Diz-lhe numa prece que ela regresse porque eu não posso mais sofrer. Chega de saudade a realidade é que sem ela não há paz, não há beleza, é só tristeza e a melancolia que não sai de mim, não sai de mim, não sai. Mas se ela voltar, se ela voltar, que coisa linda, que coisa louca, pois há menos peixinhos a nadar os beijinhos que eu darei na sua boca dentro All right, I feel more relaxed already, Matt. Yeah. Uh, beautiful stuff. All right, for my first debut album, uh, I went really with a hero of mine. Um, some listeners know I am a trumpet player. Uh, rank amateur trumpet player. Um, but uh, one of my biggest influences as I was coming up as a trumpet player was uh, the late Roy Hargrove, um, who we la- lost uh, sadly in 2018. Um, but, you know, time and time again, and all trumpet players can relate, uh, I would go back through Roy Hargrove's discography all the way to beginning, thinking, number one, that I'm going to be able to transcribe all his solos. Um, I never made it quite that far, but uh, what a joy it is to go back through his discography. And when you go all the way back to the beginning, uh, to his debut album, 1990's Diamond in the Rough, it's just remarkable uh, the impression he made in this first statement and how consistent he was throughout his career. Uh, This is a beautiful album. Again, came out, it was end of December 1989, January 1990. Um, And really just kind of, he had appeared beforehand on Bobby Watson's Blue Note album, but here in the leader position, you really get the summation of everything Roy Hargrove is. Um, He kind of has some stylistic... uh, associations to Freddie Hubbard, but he takes his playing an entirely new direction. Roy Hargrove is influenced very much by hip-hop, by soul, by R&B, and you can hear in his tone that power, that almost grit uh, that's tempered a little bit by sweetness that calls to mind some of the great R&B singers like, uh, you know, Sam Cooke and Otis Redding. Um, The the album is about half original compositions and half jazz standards. And even though it's his first album, there are tunes on this disc that have continued to be associated with Roy, um, such as Ruby, my dear, the Thelonious Monk ballad, uh, whisper, not the many Golson tune, uh, this tune proclamation, which was written by the group's keyboardist, Jeff Keezer. Um, these are tunes that were calling cards for Roy Hargrove throughout his career. I had the good fortune of seeing Roy several times, uh, in New York and Chicago, and he pulled these cards, uh, you know, right out of the deck. They're beautiful tunes. Everybody associates them with Roy. The band is absolutely smoking. A lot of his contemporaries, including the aforementioned Jeffrey Keezer on piano, 
but also Ralph Peterson Jr. on drums, Antonio Hart on reeds, uh, John Hicks on piano, but he's also got some real jazz legends on there like Al Foster uh, on drums. So I love Roy, you know, most trumpet players I know, most jazz musicians I know, most people with ears I know uh, love Roy Hargrove. And this, his debut album was just stellar. So yeah, that's mine. Diamond in the Rough, Roy Hargrove, 1990. What'd you think of that track, Matt? Amazing. I also love Roy Hargrove, so great pick. Right, moving on. My pick is Pat Metheny's debut album from 1976, Bright Size Live. Love it. Um, and, uh, you know, Metheny is an amazingly original figure in jazz history. Really one of those artists who it's difficult to place him squarely into any single category. I mean, he reinvented the traditional sound of jazz guitar and throughout his discography has constantly, constantly experimented with, you know, new sounds, instruments and recording techniques and so on. And it's almost difficult to believe that when you hear Brightside's life, I mean, he was only 21 at the time. And, uh, uh, and it's difficult to believe that not only because of his confidence with a crystalline playing style on six string and 12 string guitar, but also because of the compositional maturity he shows uh, through this all but one program of songs, of original songs, the one exception being a take on the incredibly difficult Ornette Coleman's um, round trip Broadway blues. Uh, what also makes this such a tremendous album to me is that, you know, the trio he leads with Bob Moses on drums and uh, Jaco Pastorius on that trademark fretless bass, uh, all three were well under 30 years of age at the time, but they sound like veterans. At times it's hard to believe also that it's only three musicians performing because of the sheer volume and density of the music, but that too I guess speaks to the wonderful chemistry they shared. And I think it's also safe to say that at the time of its release, this album was really influential in crafting or creating what was to be known as a distinct style of jazz associated with the fabled ECM label. Uh, so definitely another standout debut album by one of the greats. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Such an original voice. The old urban legend around Matt, uh, uh, Pat Metheny at this time was that he was a student at the University of Miami uh, for all of something like two weeks before uh, the staff there decided to make him a faculty member. Um, I don't know how true that is. It's a little <laughs> bit of jazz apocrypha. Um, but uh, yeah, a great album and has had a profound impact on the direction of modern jazz guitar and modern jazz period. So let's listen to a track, Matt. Cool. I'm going to take it in a slightly different direction, Matt. Uh, right. I will be going back to the 50s. And, you know, it's tough in coming up with the this concept of album debuts, because really prior to the 1950s, the album wasn't really a thing per se. You had a lot of collections of singles, you know, 10-inch LPs, 45. The proper concept album didn't really emerge till the 1950s. So that's why, you know, a lot of our picks start from this uh, decade on. Um, But I'm going with a totally different vibe here. I'm going to keep it chill, though. My pick is the debut album by vocalist Blossom Deary. Um, and it's just called simply Blossom Deary. It's from 1957. I don't know about you, Matt, but I love Blossom Deary. I love Blossom Deary's voice. And I don't think she's talked enough uh, in conversations about, you know, the great jazz vocalists of yore. I mean, she's certainly appreciated. She's certainly respected. But in my opinion, I could listen to Blossom Deary all day. Um, she just had that pure sweet voice that spoke directly to your heart in a lot of ways her tone you know it was very simple it wasn't too it wasn't too ornamentation um she really just kept things crystal clear it reminded me in a lot of ways of miles davis's miles davis's tone of chet baker's tone you know these are trumpet players that said you know we kind of want to eschew the vibrato um we just want the purity of tone. And that's, I think, what Blossom Deary gets in her singing. Um, anyway, I'm I'm cheating a little bit because she had made some recordings in France um, for a group under a different name. But this was her American first American solo album. And uh, it's just great. I mean, it's, you know, it's a program of great American songbook standards. Uh, Lover Man, Thou Swell, It Might As Well Be Spring, which she sings in French and is just beautiful. Um, You know, I hear music, I won't dance. Um, And yeah, Blossom is just absolutely at the top of her game. And check out this band she's got with her, Matt. Herb Ellis on guitar, Ray Brown on bass, and Joe Jones, that would be Papa Joe Jones, father of jazz swing uh, on drums. It's just a beautiful sound. You know, the fact that it's not a piano, it's the guitar, it's a guitar trio, really kind of makes it more intimate. It's a beautiful interplay of voices 
you know, obviously Blossom Deary's and the instrumental voices. And uh, yeah, if you're just looking to chill out and again, have that voice that speaks directly to your soul, uh, no distractions, no ornamentation, no acrobatics, just pure poetry. This is the album uh, for you. I don't know why, but I'm feeling so sad. I long to try something I've never had Never had no loving Never had no kissing Lover man, where can you be? The night is cold so all alone I'd give my soul just to call you my own got a moon above me but no one to love me love a man where can you be get what i'm saying beautiful this is stuff. just yeah pure clear it's like a nice cool glass of water i love it i love it i love it so now we've come to uh my final pick and i wanted to include a more modern album it's sort of one of our rules i guess when it comes to these lists is that we generally try to do that to kind of promote the shape of jazz today also with uh, with our crate digging series and the choice here of course is quite difficult because uh, great debut albums are basically released uh, every week and it's it can be very yeah. difficult to keep up with stuff with, with everything but one of the ensembles of recent years that really caught my attention was nubian twist uh, a London-based ensemble that really captures the eclectic, vibrant, multicultural art scene of London, and that is led by guitarist-producer Tom Excel. So, listening to their self-titled album from 2015, you really hear a lively and amazing blend of jazz, soul, funk, you know, uh, hip-hop, reggae, there's a little of the Brazilian influence there as well. You know, the list of genres and styles is just endless. And it's also the type of music that is just as great for listening to as it is for dancing to. There's great groove there. Uh, London is definitely a hot spot of European jazz. And I just wanted to take this opportunity to say that I'm kind of sorry to hear that so many musicians may be facing problems with their touring as a result of Brexit. Hopefully there'll be a plan put in place there for British musicians, especially large ensembles like Nubian Twist. Um, and that sort of will enable them to travel to other European countries for touring without losing money in the process. Obviously, right now, musicians can't tour, but, um, you know, um, hopefully when musicians will be able to tour again after the pandemic. Uh, these things will be solved as far as British, British musicians are concerned and all those difficulties there. But I also wanted to say that Nubian Twist will have a new record out next month. So if you haven't heard of these guys yet, I suggest you check them out. And if you do decide to check them out, I also suggest you start right from the beginning with their amazing self-titled record from 2015. Wake me up, shake me down. Bang, bang, she come, bang, bang, she come till we touch the ground. Little help is nothing, that just won't do. Cause I don't want nothing to do with you. Wake me up, 
like it, Matt. Great stuff. Thanks for bringing it modern. I I went modern too. If by modern uh, we're talking 1987, <laughs> yeah, um, only because. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist putting one of my favorite debut albums on this list. Uh, and that would be the debut album by saxophonist Michael Brecker. This is, again, another self-titled album. So it's just Michael Brecker. It was released on Impulse in 1987. And for me, outside of like John Coltrane, outside of Sonny Rollins, few tenor saxophonists have had such a major influence on the direction of modern jazz than Michael Brecker. I mean, when he came onto the scene, it was like he was speaking another language, um, you know, and, and he, people in the jazz circles had heard him uh, before this point in 1987 uh, on in the group, the Brecker Brothers. Uh, on recordings by Steely Dan, Michael Frank, so on and so forth. But this was his major debut statement as a leader. And it's just everything you'd expect. It starts with this kind of anthemic tune, sea glass, with these just washes of synthesizer uh, from Kenny Kirkland, by the way, is the keyboardist on this album. And you hear Michael Brecker come in and again it's like what he was doing on the saxophone was unlike anything that had been done before he had this brilliant use of alternate fingerings where he could play the same note and make it sound totally different and he'd work those into the phrases he had this incredible altissimo voice you know so he was playing tenor saxophone but he'd be able to get way up there in the range and just squeal he used harmonics brilliantly and overtones being able to play two notes at once again i imagine you know, saxophonists listening to this record in 1987 must have been experiencing what saxophonists uh, listening to John Coltrane in the 50s and 60s uh, were doing because it was like someone came on and was doing something completely different with the instrument. Beautiful tracks on this album. Again, after that anthemic opening, you go right into this bebop tune that's like 300 million miles per hour. Um, and Michael Brecker is just with ease uh, lacing these complicated lines together over the changes. It's a great album. It's also got some great players on it. You know, in addition to Michael Brecker, who's playing tenor saxophone and Iwi, electronic wind instruments, so you get to hear some weird robot jazz too. Uh, Jack Dejanet on drums, Charlie Hayden on double bass, of course, Kenny Kirkland on keyboards. And in a six degrees of separation here, Matt, Pat Metheny on guitar makes an appearance on this debut album. Um, but beautiful tunes, tunes by Don Grolnick, uh, a few originals by Michael Brecker, some tunes by Mike Stern on there. It was awarded five stars when it came out, and it is an absolute jazz classic. Michael Brecker is, you know, another artist that we lost way too soon. He died uh, in 2007 of, I don't know how to pronounce this, but... MDS is the syndrome. His wife, his family has taken up the cause of bringing awareness to this syndrome. And they used to hold a big event every year, big concert in his honor. Um, his, his influence on jazz is lasting still very much to this day. You hear saxophonists um, emulating Michael Brecker. And of course, he can be uh, replicated, but never duplicated. He was one of a kind, sorely missed. And... Uh, you just had to include his debut album here. Mm -hmm. 
All right, Matt. Great stuff. That'll do it for another episode. Amazing. Of Crate Digging. Amazing. That was a fun one. It was definitely a fun one. It's always a good time to talk with you. And uh, and I know that you've given me some good pointers for discovering or rediscovering some of the records that you've talked about on this show. And actually, I'd love to know anyone listening what their suggestions would be as far as their favorite jazz debut albums are concerned, too. Yeah. And write us on Facebook about which themes you'd want us to kind of explore here uh, on Crate Digging. And uh, like Matt said... On Facebook, when we post this story, let us know in the comments what your favorite debut albums are. We've got to do a part two at some point in the future, Brian. That's for sure. Oh, God, I know. We could do a three and four and five and six. I mean, the list goes on and on for amazing debuts. Narrowing down to three was nearly impossible this time around. But yeah, these are definitely kind of the the top three in my uh, album collection. All right. All right, Matt. It was a pleasure talking to you once again. I'll see you next week for another episode of Crate Digging. See you, Brian. That's that. Bye-bye, everybody. And I'm looking forward to it already. Thanks for listening, everyone. So long. Crate Digging.